welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to church at the well. So glad you're joining us today or whether you're joining us, well, everyone's joining us online or maybe you're watching this later in the week. We have been in a series called History Maker, how Jesus' life has changed ours. The premise of this whole thing is that God has intervened in human history by inserting himself into human history, in the flesh, and his name is Jesus. And that that isn't just a historical fact or something that we look back on through the four biographies of Jesus that we find in the scriptures, but realizing his story has changed our story. The more we understand him, the more we understand ourselves and who God is. And we began by saying, yes, God has become flesh and that has changed history forever. But also because he came to show us, first and foremost, the love of God. And so if you missed last week's message or the last couple, I encourage you to go back online and watch those. And we are journeying through this and saying, okay, how the more we understand Jesus' story and what it means and what it meant for the people back then, what does it mean for us and how he is still changing my life and my story, your life and your story. One of the things we're doing through this series, we have some uh, time for questions, just a little bit of time near the end of the message. So there's a phone number there. You can text in your questions um, as you're listening. It'll be up on the screen too. So as I'm saying things, you may be like, hey, I don't understand that. Or what about this? Or as you're saying that, it brings up other questions. I would encourage you to do that. Now, one of the interesting things is as you look back at history, we realize uh, history, we have a problem. That, that human history has a lot of mess and brokenness in it. Whatever vantage point you look at, whether it's from sort of a global history or a certain people group or a certain part of the world or a certain aspect of history, there's lots of beauty in history and and how our world has unfolded, and there's lots of brokenness, even still today. And interestingly, history has tried to get at and answer and deal with the problem in many different ways, whether through kingdoms, 
and, and monarchies or politics and leaders and, and rulers or religion or scientific revolution coming later on. And then the, um, the enlightenment movements based on science and education and human progress from the 17th, 18th and 19th centuries. And one of the things we find is that all of these in some ways have brought some good into the world, but also some bad. All of them have brought some beauty and are also broken. Leadership and, and, and government is good and also broken. Science has brought many beautiful things into our world, and yet through science and even into the 20th century, we found more people were killed in the 20th century. We found new ways to do harm and damage to each other and to ourselves. And even as recently as yesterday, um, or today listening to our prime minister, um, talk about the tragedies in our uh, own country and as they were mourning the losses in Nova Scotia, the one of the things he said was, he said, we are noticing, and he listed many different incidences of gun violence and mass shootings. He says, they seem to be getting more prevalent and, and prayers and good wishes are not enough. Something needs to change. And that just echoes the fact that saying we, we are finding ourselves even in the 21st century looking back at history and looking at our present history and even our stories from last week and saying things are not good. History has a problem. And the truth is, it's not just out there. We have a problem. If I look at my own story in my own life, if you look at your story, either many years ago or even this week, even yesterday, we are, as human beings, capable of incredible acts of humility, selflessness, grace, and love. And we are also capable of saying horrible things, thinking horrible things. And maybe even most of, some of us maybe are better at keeping it in than others, but if people really knew what was inside of us, it was the Russian novelist Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, the line between good and evil does not run through countries or political parties, but through every human heart. There is within us a problem. And even if we cosmically look at it and say, none of these seem to be addressing it, we can maybe even say, maybe even you've had an experience this week going, I feel hopeless. I feel powerless over the things that I see in my life. I, I have things and dreams that I know of the person I would be and what I want to say. And I see glimpses of those. And yet, why does it seem so hard to continually be that person? Maybe even as you've been going through um, stuff in this current uh, lockdown, it's brought up things and you're, you're upset at yourself. You're, you see it on display. The problem may be even more common. And the question is, what is going to fix this? Well, as I said to you, the biographies of Jesus, each of the writers entitled them gospel, which means good news. And the truth is, if Jesus coming into our world is good news, the angel said, good news, great joy for all people. That's maybe the most widespread statement about who Jesus was. That Then if, it is, if Jesus is good news, he has to help us deal with this problem. And interestingly, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, which is kind of our guide for this, and I'd encourage you to be tracking with our Daily Reconnect blog that helps you read through the book and understand it. When they announced the coming of Jesus, they used this name. His name, Jesus, actually means God saves. It was an announcement. It was a foreshadowing to say, yes, God is inserting himself into human history, and one of the things he is going to do is to deal with the problem. But the question is, well, what, what is God going to save us from and how? How is Jesus going to save us? Well, today we're going to look at the saving work of Jesus through the lives of two people, two encounters that Jesus had in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 5. And the, and the first one of those stories was read for you earlier. 
It's a story where Jesus is teaching. Lots of people are around, and like, which, which was always happening while he was teaching. There were crowds of people, and uh, he had begun to heal people of uh, things that nobody could be healed from in terms of leprosy, which was highly infectious. And, meant, and this was before modern medicine, before any of that. And so if you were sick, it, it, was, it was a diagnosis on your life. You were done. And so Jesus was casting out demons and healing lepers. And, and so word was spreading. And so sure enough, there he is teaching the whole crowd of people. And it says a whole bunch of the religious leaders had come from all over the place, partly because they were intrigued, but partly because they were the watchdogs. They were the ones saying, no, remember we said last week, they were the ones who spoke for God. And so here's this man who's not trained as a religious teacher, but he's being called rabbi, teacher, and is talking a lot about God and doing some very powerful things. And so it's like they send the authorities to say, hey, make sure this guy's legit or doesn't step out of line. We are the police for what's going on. So they're in the room. And this these guys bring along their friend who's paralyzed and, and he's on a mat and they can't get to him. They can't get to Jesus because the crowd. So they break in through the roof, lower this guy right in front of Jesus. And there he is lying on this mat, clearly not able to get there himself. And so Jesus sees, obviously he's already done healing. He knows people are coming to him for healing. It was one of the things that he was most known for in that time. And he says to the person, he says a very odd thing to this man who clearly has the need of being healed of whatever his disease was. We don't know. He didn't say anything to Jesus. We all just know his friends brought him in. It was desperate to get healed. And Jesus uses the S word. He says, your sins, says to the man. Now, maybe even you earlier in the, in the service is one of the songs that talked about sin. Maybe for some of us, uh, if that's not a common part of our language or whatever, or it's a word that we find archaic or heavy or dark or, you know, uh, oh, that's, I don't like that word. That's a word that maybe even offends us at times. And part of the reason is we look at that and say, well, religions just use that as an equally uh, unhelpful and um, oversimplified view of what's going on in the world. Oh, bad things. You know, people are bad and they do bad things. There are people who do bad things and that's what sin is. And that's not, that's not helpful. That makes people feel guilty and that's not a good word at all. But the word Jesus uses is from the scriptures. It's a word that's found many pages earlier in the scriptures. And it's actually a word that is, that is not simple at all. It's very complex, which is important because if our problems are complex, right, we need a diagnosis or a word that actually treats them as complex. You know, it's like going in for for heart surgery and after you're done having a band-aid put on, it's like, no, no, that's an oversimplified solution to something that's seriously wrong with me. And so the scriptures actually have a word that sin is not uh, simply about, oh, doing bad things. It's very complex, but it is also, as I said, a diagnosis, which brings with it the ring or the possibility of hope. Because if I can start to know what this is in me and out there and in my family and in my life and behavior, maybe there's hope to be saved from it. And so Jesus says, your sins. And the word he used just to help us understand is the word hamartia. And in the scriptures, it has a, a multiple meanings. One of the meanings is, is what you think about like archery or darts or whatever, missing the mark, missing the bullseye. That if the center is what someone is aiming for, there's this idea of missing the mark, of not, not hitting center. And maybe, maybe you've heard that before. But there's actually more to this word. Another way of thinking about missing is actually this idea of losing the path. So the mark or the goal is, is like where I'm supposed to be heading, where I want to head, the me I want to be, the kind of behavior and life and whatever I want to have, saying, oh, there is, a, there is a moving off of that path. There's a wandering away and a lostness. I don't know. There's a directionless um, kind of thing and also missing the mark, missing the path, wandering off it. 
But then also, if you take the words um, ha and miros, and this is any view that we've been given, given the book Reunion to by Rexy Cavey, he, he mentions this, it's so helpful. The word ha just means not, and miros means um, together with. And so the third idea of this is to, to not be together with. And if you take all of these things together, they actually help us understand sin in a much more complex way that not only the scriptures explain to us, but actually explains ourselves a lot. It's this idea that's saying there's a standard, even the standard we think we have for many of us, never mind the standard God has for us. Many of us feel, I don't live up to the standards I have for myself or the other people around me feel like I'm not living up to the standard, like I'm falling short. I'm not, I'm not hitting the mark. There's also, we can experience in us this sort of lostness um, not just about doing bad things, but going our own way or also just feeling lost, purposeless. Uh, the, all of that is actually the uh, parts of sin in us. And then this idea of not together with. This is core to the idea of what it means to be human. When we read scripture, the beginning, God created us for relationship with him and relationship with each other. And sin fractured, and actually relationship with ourselves, like a, a healthy view of ourselves. Sin, it says fractured, so we are not together with God. We feel a sense of separation or disconnection with God. We feel a sense of separation or disconnection with each other. And we feel a sense of separation or disconnection with ourselves. That, doesn't that explain all of our lives? And, and so it isn't just about um, behavior. The scriptures say that it is an infection. Everyone is infected and everything is affected. It's not to say everything's evil, you're evil, I'm evil, there's nothing good in the world. No, the world was created beautiful and good and valuable and purposeful. So was our work, so was our relationship, so is ourselves, our relationship with God. And yet everything has been compromised because of the infection. It is in everyone and it has affected everything. And so sin, and even when Jesus used the word, isn't just a description of behavior. In fact, you can think the behaviors are actually the symptoms of the virus, of the infection of what's going on. And even the brokenness of this world and the fact that, think about this, you can, you can do bad things for bad reasons. You'd say, okay, well, that's sin. But, but sometimes we do um, bad, uh, good things for bad reasons. Like we, we, we want to look good, you know, but there's that aspect that like we're doing something good, but it's actually for bad reasons. Then there's times that we do um, bad things for good reasons. You know, like we have a good motive, but we kind of mess it up or we make a wrong decision, wrong call. And then there's times we do good things for good reasons and it still ends up in a mess. We go, what is that? That is sin. That is saying every, everyone is infected, everything is affected, and it doesn't respect gender or um, ethnicity or, or boundaries or social class or geography or anything. All of us are, are affected. All of us are infected by this. This is the scripture's understanding of sin. And so Jesus, if he's going to deal with the problem, is going to put his finger on the question of sin. And so he uses the S word, but he says to this man, your sins are forgiven. He uses an F word. Your, this is a sermon I'm going to get in trouble with my, with my mother. I know that. Um, I'm just saying that ahead of time, okay? Your sins are forgiven. And immediately, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law go, wait a second. That's not okay. Because this is weird. Jesus didn't know this man. It's not like the man did something bad to Jesus, and now he was coming and asking for forgiveness, and Jesus saying, don't worry, I forgive you for stepping on my toe or stealing my bread or whatever. 
This was Jesus saying something to the man that the Pharisees and religious leaders say, hey, you cannot, you, you use the S word and the F word in the same sentence. You can't do that. They actually say, it doesn't say they say it out loud, but they, they said it in their hearts. Only God can forgive sin. Who does this person think he is? He can't say that. And they were right. Only God can forgive sin. Well, what, why did they mean that? Well, all sin ultimately is against God because God has created everything beautiful, right? It's like if you hurt my kids, you don't only hurt them, you hurt me because I love them, because they're my children. If you destroy something beautiful that I made, you not only destroyed the, the piece of art or whatever it is, you in a sense hurt me. It is an offense against the creator. And so all sin, yes, it affects other people and ourselves, but also ultimately God. Therefore, God is the only one who can say you are forgiven. And when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, he, was, he actually says to him, friend, which is so beautiful. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven. In other words, you are now completely forgiven. There's the, the, the tense that he uses actually, uh, past perfect, I think is the name. Don't ask me more details about the past perfect, okay? I'm just read the commentators. But it's basically saying it was a looking back over his past saying, all of that is forgiven. That's why the Pharisees and religious leaders says, only God can do that. Only God can look at someone and say, you are now forgiven. Only God can look at a sinner and say, friend, you are now forgiven. And in fact, they would have thought this guy had a lot of sins because he was sick. And, and in those days, they believed, well, if you were sick, that's because either you or your parents or your past generation, somebody was more of like a form of karma, you messed up. And so you're being punished. So that must be a lot of sins if you're a paralytic. And lame people in particular were considered to be impure. And so he's, he's saying, God, how could you forgive this. You forgave all of you, just declaring that he's forgiven. And this was the thing that Jesus says in that, is saying, your sins are forgiven. And the question that they bring up is, you don't have the power and the authority to do that. Do you? Does Jesus have the power and authority to forgive sin? To basically say to that person, you are seen by God as clean, as pure. And this is so significant for this, for this man because his sickness would have actually not only cut him off from people, um, but from God. Because, because he was impure, the lame especially were considered to be, lame and the blind, to be impure. They had defects. And so because God was pure, they couldn't be in God's presence. So how could he be declared um, perfect, in a sense, pure and completely forgiven and a friend of God? And the issue they have with Jesus is he, up to this point in Luke and all the way throughout, he has been setting himself up as the representative of God. Like he speaks for God. He teaches about God. He is God's agent. He represents God. And that's what they're saying. And actually all the way through Luke, you don't have the authority. What gives you the authority and the power to say these things and do these things as if you were God, as if you were on behalf of God? And so Jesus answered this question. He says, okay. You ask me that question, by what authority do I do these things? Let me ask you a question. What's harder, to forgive sins or to say to this person who can't walk, get up and walk? And of course, it's a bit of a rhetorical question because they're like, uh, well, yeah, being forgiven by God, that's the greatest thing, but also that's also impossible for someone who's lame to walk. And so Jesus says, just so you know, I have the authority and the power to do both, get up and walk. And he heals a man, place goes crazy, right? Um, and the whole point was, you think this is hard. You say, I don't have the authority to do this. Well, this is equally hard. It's almost, in fact, they, they probably thought the healing miracle was even harder. Like nobody does that. 
So when he does it, he says, so you know that I have the authority to forgive sins, I'm gonna heal this man. Now, why does Jesus put these two things together? That the man sins, forgiving of his sins, and healing of his body. Because actually, you know, the healing moment happened when Jesus says to him, friend, your sins are forgiven. That was the true healing. Jesus just finished the thing. But why does he put them together? Again, like I said, they thought that there was a relationship between sin and sickness. Like if you were sick, it was because you've sinned. And many times throughout the gospels, people try to ask Jesus, is that because someone sinned? And he wouldn't let them do it. He's like, no, that's not the point. But why does he put these two things together? Because the, the paralysis that this man was feeling and what it had done, it was not only cut him off from God, like I said, but like his family, he wouldn't have been um, marriable because a man was only good insofar as he was able to provide for his family and you had to work with your hands and your feet. And so he would have not been able to have a family. So in a sense, he would have been cut off from that. His own family would have said, well, you're only good to us if you can collect some money. Since you can't support the family, go out and beg. So they would have put him, brought him to a public place to try to beg every week. So he's alienated from his family and from a future family and from people who saw him as impure and then cut off from God. And even the picture of him not being able to get to Jesus, like everyone's in the way, was actually a picture of this separation. He can't even walk to get to Jesus. So when Jesus heals him, it's like a, a visible metaphor of saying, this is how, um, how complete and pure and powerful the work of God in you to declare you forgiven. The fact that your life now can be totally transformed because you're healed is a picture of what I've done for you on the inside. The outside sickness was a, was a visible image of what was going on in the inside and Jesus deals with both. Jesus brings forgiveness to this place. It's the, it's the first part of how he deals with sin is he, he brings forgiveness. He declares over this man, over you and me, your sins are forgiven. He has the right and the power and the authority to do it. But that's not the only way Jesus saves us from sin, not just forgiveness, but something else. And the something else happens as we continue to read in, Matthew's, or in Luke's gospel about Matthew. <laughs> After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, who became Matthew, one of his disciples, sitting at his tax booth, which if you're reading Luke goes, uh-oh, tax collector, these are, it's not just a job title, as we talked about last week, these were the scum of the earth. They were considered the damned by the religious people for what they did. Jesus says to Matthew, follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. Remember we talked about how eating last week is such a sign of acceptance. Matthew's like, wait, if you accepted me, you probably, there's all these other people who I don't think are accepted and they don't think they're accepted, but you should meet them too. And so he gets all of them together and there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Well, we know what's coming. Religious leaders show up. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? They were sort of all lumped together uh, as, as sort of this group of saying, yeah, these are, these are sinners. These are, these are people who don't belong. And Jesus, in response to that, actually, in, in what he says to Matthew, he uses another F word, not just forgiveness, but he says, follow me. Jesus comes to this tax collector who probably would have seen himself as a sinner and knew he was cut off from people like Jesus, especially if Jesus had a reputation of being a teacher, a holy man, representing God. The tax collectors would have known, okay, maybe, and are not really sure how they belong. And it says Jesus goes out and finds this person and invites him to follow him. Not just forgiveness, but to follow him, which was actually saying, come be my disciple. I'm, I'm, I'm a teacher of God, I'm representing God, and I'm inviting you to be in relationship with me. And we know by Matthew's response, he knew what that meant. It says he left everything. In other words, he realized, I have to, this is now my life, 
And he throws a banquet saying, oh, Jesus, we're friends now. We can eat together. He's accepted me and I'm accepting him and I followed him. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law say, you can't do that. And so in response, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This idea of repentance, this word repentance, maybe you've heard it before. It's so closely tied to sin and forgiveness, but what does it actually mean? Well, it's actually made plain for us in what Jesus said with follow. The word repent actually means to rethink. Or if we think about the analogy of the path that we're following this way, right? We've lost the way we're following. Ultimately, we're following ourselves. When we sin, we distrust God and we trust ourselves and we're gonna go our own way and we're gonna follow this path. Repentance says, unfollow yourself, your own way and all these other ways of what you think is gonna give you joy and life and happiness and all those things. Unfollow, rethink, turn around, change direction. That's what repentance means, which is why the invitation to repentance was, follow me. Unfollow yourself, your own ways. Unfollow what you think the world says, this is the best way to be, or this is who you're supposed to be, and this is what is most important in life, and turn around, change your direction, and begin to follow me. This is the other part of of dealing with sin. Jesus not only offers us forgiveness to, to all, of all the stuff of the infection and saying, I'm wiping that clean. I'm dealing with the root causes in your life, not just the surface things. I am forgiving you. You are someone in need of forgiveness. But then out of that forgiveness, now he says, now live a new life. See, dealing with sin isn't just forgiving us for what we've done. It's actually inviting us to change, which is why the whole rest of the gospels actually show us who Jesus is as he teaches us to think a new way. Rethink everything. Rethink what it means to be, um, to be pure, to be holy, to be loving, to be kind, to be generous. Rethink what it means to actually relate to God. Rethink what it means to relate to your fellow, to, to your friends, even to your enemies. All of the teachings of Jesus actually fall into this whole area of rethink. Sin isn't just dealing with the stuff that needs to be forgiven. We actually need to learn a new pattern of living. That's what we said a couple weeks ago. Jesus becomes the new human for us. The dealing with sin is not just saying, hey, there's an infection in you that needs healing and forgiveness. It's actually saying you need a whole new blueprint for how you think because your thinking and your feeling and all your direction was this way against God or just trusting yourself more. You don't know how to think and how to live. I'm gonna teach you and now you're going to follow me. So you're gonna turn. That's what the word repentance means. So that's why forgiveness and repentance go hand in hand, right? Or forgiveness and follow two F words in dealing with the S word, dealing with sin in our lives. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's still saving us. He's still, and and I say still because some of us may be here and going, oh yeah, I I know all that. Oh yeah, that's in my review mirror. Yep, I'm saved. I got saved. We use that language sometimes in the church. What's interesting is the group of people that were hanging around here that were actually most suspicious of what Jesus was doing and saying were the righteous people or the the healthy ones. That's why Jesus says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, the sick. Was he meaning, oh, you guys are fine? No, we actually know from all loose gospel, they weren't fine. They thought they were fine. They didn't think they needed anything from Jesus. And to be honest, we, those of us who say, oh yeah, I grew up in the church or I've always believed in God. We use language like that. It's saying, oh no, that means I'm not actually, I'm fine. This is for other people who've made a mess of their lives. No, the whole point of the story was there was the groups of people who knew they were, but then there was the other group who didn't know they needed it. And so 
one of the things that's helped me realizing Jesus' saving work for me, there's a past, present, and a future element to it. There is the past, that he has changed my past and my story, but he's still saving me now because you know what? I'm still lost. I still wander off the path. I still, in my heart, sometimes distrust God and take matters into my own hands. Sin is still working in my life, and I need Jesus to forgive me all over again, saying, hey, you have a bent towards not trusting me, towards trusting yourself, towards all of this stuff that you, you know, you want to do different, but you can't, and you need, you continually need my forgiveness, and you continually need me to show you a new way to live. That the forgiveness of Jesus and the invitation to follow are still being given to us no matter where we are on the spectrum of faith. Before we come to the end here, I want to pause here and just give us a chance, and, and uh, I'm going to invite you just to listen to this song uh, that uh, John and Michelle are going to lead us in. You can also just get together the bread and the cup uh, of juice or uh, thing for the communion that we're going to serve in a little bit. And have you had as questions, this has come up, personal ones, existential ones, or philosophical ones, religious ones, whatever they're ones, either something that you're struggling with or you know people have asked you and you don't really know how to think about it, please feel free to text those in, and we're going to address a couple of those in a moment. for that time to reflect on God's work in our lives and his, his saving work in our lives. We've got a couple of questions we want to get into before we sort of end our gathering today. Um, one of them that came in is, what about people who don't know or think they need Jesus or forgiveness? Um, well, certainly I think um, the Pharisee, you know, and some people, and I have good friends who will say, hey, that's for you, right? Like you have that need or that's, you know, I'm glad that you found your thing, but I have a different thing. It's not Jesus. It's not forgiveness from sin. Um, and I think what, you know, the angels claim when they were announcing Jesus was good news of great joy for all people that Jesus saves everyone. What about people say, well, I'm fine. I don't need that. Well, certainly there was the group of religious people who actually, because of their pride, um, we're, we're saying, well, we don't, we don't need you. We don't know what you're saying. Like, we're more righteous than you. Um, they actually were accusing him of being unrighteous, like a sinner all the time, um, or uh, hanging around too much with people. So I think one of the things that the scriptures actually tell us in a very, uh, you know, complex way is like, it's possible for like, you know, bad deeds to lead to sin or to show sin, but also good deeds can show sin. Like in a, in a sense, we can either become proud and think we're saving ourselves, um, or we, we say, well, there's no way to save me. I'm a mess and I'm too far gone. And we all find ourselves somewhere along that spectrum. But I think one of the things that we realize is it's actually not my job or the church's job to convince other people that they're sinners. Um, it's actually something we're freed from and say, hey, it's not your job to go around telling people. In fact, the scriptures are really clear. There's only one righteous judge. It's Jesus. He's the only one who's fit to actually see into the human heart. Um, and one of the things I've realized is, hey, for some people you know, they're very aware of their sin and need to like actually say, okay, I need a savior. Other people are more aware of like what we taught last week of the lack of love in their lives and unconditional love. Um, and maybe they wouldn't use the word because of my sin, but they realize, yeah, I need a love that's not like any other love. And when Jesus shows them the love of God, they go, yes, I need that. And they enter the door of the good news in a sense through the love of God. Other people, because they're so aware of their sin, are like, yeah, I enter the door of the good news through the fact that Jesus saves. For others, we're going to talk about next week, purpose, feeling a lack of purpose or a lack of what is the, my mission in life? Is life meaningless? Jesus' kingdom offers good news for those who are saying, is there anything more to life than 
than this. They enter the door through the kingdom. Others, and we're going to talk about two weeks from now, is Jesus is the end of religion. They realize, wait, I don't need religion. I, I can have a relationship with God. That's how they begin. Eventually, we begin to understand all of the good news, which actually deals with all of what sin is. Sin is also purposelessness and, and emptiness of religion and also um, the, the infection in our lives and also the lack of love. Sin is everywhere. So, But Jesus' saving work actually happens through different ways. And so some people, they're aware. If they're not aware of it, it's not like we go, well, didn't you steal a paperclip from the office once? Like, you're a sinner. It's like, no, like some of us are aware of it. Others are not. It's actually up to God to show us that because we said all sin is against God. Um, but others come in through different doors, the kingdom, the love of God, the end of religion. Eventually, we begin to understand all of that. And I don't know about you, but I feel like, actually, I hope this isn't, I don't think I'm more of a sinner now than I used to be but I feel like I'm a way more aware of my sin than I used to be. Well, that actually tells me like I'm growing and understanding that Jesus is saving me even now. And so I think that's a big part uh, of this is just we, we grow in understanding the work of Jesus in a more robust way. And it's not our job to have to convince other people. One other question came in is, when is enough enough? Why does he keep forgiving the same sin? And this is so important. I think it actually gets at one of the things we believe about sin primarily, that it's behavior. And so when we see in ourselves the same thing, we're so angry and upset at ourselves, feel guilty. How come I keep doing the same things? Um, or we see in others, we're like, how many times do I have to forgive you? How many times have I said this? Sometimes we say that to our kids. Like, how many times do I have to tell you? There's this thing in us that's like, well, why isn't the behavior changing? But I think when we understand that sin is a sickness and an infection, um, you know, it's, we wouldn't say to the doctor, well, why do you keep healing the same thing? Why do you keep addressing the same thing? Actually, the repetitive behavior helps us understand this isn't just behavior modification and that something has to be dealt with in the human heart. And, and so I think that's just realizing because God is doing a progressive work of healing. It's not just going to take one thing. We have a habit. If our lives are bent in the opposite direction, if we have unfollowed and we don't trust God, we actually trust ourselves, Trust doesn't happen quickly. We don't. We continually trust ourselves instead of God. We continually go down our path instead of his. It's a repeated, so when you think about it as the path, you're saying, well, how far down that path of trusting myself am I? Well, I'm way down that path. So when Jesus invites me to turn around, it's, it takes me time to learn to unfollow my own ways and trust him again. And it helps you understand what I said something about Jesus' saving work has a past, a present, and a future tense to it. He has saved me. I am forgiven. But do I still sin? Yes, I still sin. Am I healed? Yes, I'm healed. Am I fully healed? No. So he's still saving me now. He's still teaching me his new ways to say, showing me how deep the distrust of him goes in my heart and going, yeah, I don't, why am I so afraid to trust you? Why am I so confident in my own abilities and not leaning on you? Why do I worry so much? All of that sign, right? Saying he's saving me now, but there's also a future orientation and saying, this is not done yet. It will not be done until he returns, until we see him face to face, until we get a new body and a new mind and a new heart, and it is complete. And so until then, God graciously continues to forgive, which is why the invitation to repent, to turn around, is for everyone. Not just people say, oh yeah, I did that when I was five, when I was 10, when I was 25, when I was 55. No, over and over, we return to him. One of the beautiful things, you know, about this is we said, well, what, what is the, in a few minutes, we're going to celebrate communion together. What is the definitive answer as to whether Jesus has the power and authority to do this, to really declare us forgiven over and over again and to invite us into a new life? Well, it wasn't something that happened in Luke chapter five. It actually happened, took place later on in the life of Jesus that now we understand. It was Jesus' death and resurrection that proves power and authority 
to do this. See, Rome had stripped him of power by killing him the way they killed everybody who came up against Rome. And the religious leaders had stripped him of his authority, religious authority, by saying, you're a blasphemer, you're a fake, you, you know, God judges you, and, and they condemned him to death. And when he rose from the dead, he showed not only does he have power over death and over sin, because sin has power over us, right? Many of us have experienced this, like, it feels, we feel powerless against it. The habits, the bent kind of thinking down away from God to distrust him, it's a power. Jesus, through his resurrection, showed his power over sin and death, and his authority to say to you, since I, the innocent one, have been killed by sin and that sin couldn't kill me, I can declare you free and forgiven too. And that's the beauty of, why, of what we celebrate even today. So what does this mean for you? Well, I was just thinking and praying through this. Okay, okay God, like for some of us, we've heard this before. Some of us, it's new. What does it mean? Well, well, I think for some of us, we need to use the S word more. And by that, I mean, we need to say we're sinners. Here, I'm going to give you some words that will be really helpful to you. You know what the problem is? I'm a sinner. In fact, these are going to be so helpful for you. I actually had to use it yesterday with one of my kids where he did something and I didn't like it and I reacted in a way that was an overreaction. And I had to say to him, you know what the problem is here? I'm a sinner. <laughs> like I'm telling you, this will actually help your relationship. In the middle of an argument with your spouse, in the middle of you being tempted or taking out your frustration or your stress about your job or your lack of job or what's going on right now on your kids or your loved ones, in the middle of you wanting to blame your boss or blame the government or blame the system or blame this virus, you go, you know what the problem is here? I'm a sinner. And not in a, hey, you know what? Everyone makes mistakes. No, mistake is locking your keys in the car. Sin is a different thing to say, no, this isn't just a whatever. Uh, so forgive me, I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. No, it's saying, you know what? The real root of what's going on in here and the agitation is the brokenness in me, right? And I may be responding to brokenness in other people, but I have brokenness in me. And it's not that I, I have to be afraid. Many of us don't like to say this because we're afraid to admit it. Um, but we don't need to be afraid because Jesus offers forgiveness for those who are willing to admit they're sinners. And for some of you, it's like, you know, you need to ask your spouse or your family member and say, am I never wrong? Like, is that, is that how it works? Like, I'm never, I can never be the one to blame. Like, I'm defensive in every argument. I never want anything to stick to me. If that's true, and, and all of us have some of that, in, but some of us have a lot of it in us, maybe we just need to use this word more and say, okay, I need to stop blaming, stop deflecting, stop being defensive and say, okay, I'm a sinner. It actually is the doorway to forgiveness and freedom. When we say, Jesus, can you forgive me? I'm a sinner. Others of us need to use the F words more often. I am forgiven and I am invited to follow over and over and over again. For those of us that struggle with feeling guilt or shame or saying, hi, I'm doing the same things over and over again or the other people are in our lives are reminding us that we're doing the same things over again, say, you know what? I'm forgiven. Like Jesus looks at me and when I turn to him, he, he says, you're forgiven. I declare you're forgiven. I'm not counting your past against you. When I look at you, I don't see all of the past things you've done. I see you and the love that God has for you and the fact that I have accepted you and I've called you friend and invited you to follow me. And so we need to say, okay, I'm invited to follow. I change my old ways. Those habits, those old things die hard. But Jesus over and over again is extending the hand of friendship to me saying, friend, you're invited to follow. You're not cast out and brought back in. You, you are home. You are forgiven. You are declared forgiven and a friend of God. So come on, follow me 